Welcome into the Lockdown Knicks podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Shaw. He is my co-host, Alex Wolf, And we are back with Sports Illustrated's Chris Herring to talk about his upcoming book on the 90s Knicks, Blood in the Garden, the flagrant history of the New York Knicks, out on January 18th. Alex, last episode was was more so focused on the process of book writing. But this time, we just want to have a little old-fashioned Knicks conversation with Chris. Yeah, and we certainly do that. We talk about this year's Knicks and a little bit last year's Knicks. We're going to get... Chris's thoughts on the current team, the offseason moves that they made, what we can expect from Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett this year and going forward, and also a little bit of a comparison between the 12-13 team and last year's team and this year's team and kind of the the vibe around the teams, the construction of the teams, uh, whether the Knicks right now, in a good way, are sort of having their cake and eating it too with having a youthful team that also can compete. So we'll talk about all that on this episode of Locked on Knicks with Chris Herring. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Right now. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, and today's episode is brought to you by Thursdays on Locked On NBA. Thursdays on Locked On NBA podcast. Hosts Jackson Gatlin and Matt Moore are telling you whose NBA stock is up and who's down. Follow the Locked On NBA podcast today on YouTube or wherever you get podcasts. Again, I am Gavin Shaw, a resumed play-by-play broadcaster, talking uh, high school football uh, on Long Island mostly, but occasionally some stuff around the country and some college basketball. He is Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of the Strickland, the greatest Knicks website out there, and the man we are talking to is once again Chris Herring. So without further ado, let's get into it with Chris. All right, so to move to move along a little bit, Chris, to uh, the Knicks themselves, I, I know, you know... It, you didn't grow up in the area, but this has sort of become an area that you became pretty attached to and a team you became pretty attached to. Thanks. Obviously, I mean, you're writing the book now uh, or wrote the book, I should say. And but, you know, I know you keep up with the Knicks in general just because of how much the the fan base embraced you and everything from your time at the journal uh, and your time as a beat writer. So I'm sure you kept up with everything going on in the offseason with them. What was your kind of general thought about the the Knicks offseason before we get into some of the specifics? Like, do you think that they did pretty well for themselves? Um, do you have, I mean, we've spoken on here that we do have, even with all the additions, there is still always that worry of potential regression. Uh, and especially when they, uh, how things started going in free agency, where it kind of just looked like they were going to, replace Bullock with Fournier and that was basically going to be it uh we definitely started to kind of worry a little bit there but then once they signed Kemba obviously that's a huge move and you know if he plays to his potential there is potential that the Knicks could even be better than they were last year or at least hold serve and be a you know top four or five seed but what was kind of your your sweeping uh takeaway from the Knicks offseason and you know do you feel like they did they did as you know well with getting better and and hopefully being able to 
you know, quell that sort of regression, especially when you have, you know, some teams below them that seem like they could be immediately primed to be better than the Knicks were last year, like the Hawks, potentially the Heat, you know, if they're if they're all healthy and, and gel together the way that they can with Kyle Lowry and everything else like that. Um, I will say, I think like this, I think anyone from basically the Celtics down, I don't think is a huge threat to overtake the Knicks and do better than the Knicks did last year. But particularly those two teams that were immediately below them last year, I think there's, there is a world where the Knicks could slip to potentially the sixth seed this year, or maybe if some things go poorly with injury luck or whatever, the seventh seed. Um, but what was kind of, anyway, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but what was kind of your takeaway from the Knicks offseason and how they've positioned themselves this year? Well, I think the first takeaway is that they were probably, this has happened a couple times the last few years now, where I think um, we're not doing ourselves any favors in the media by uh, kind of summing up who's won free agency after the first day. (laughs) I'll put it that way. Because not only have not all the the, the key guys signed a deal yet, um, or obviously they haven't signed anything, but agreed to a deal yet, but also, um, what I think the Knicks were probably the best example of this, the deals that they agree to, the like details of that keep kind of um, leaking out after the fact. And so the moves that a lot of people weren't excited about, I think within the fan base, and I think even more so were criticized in the media after the first two, three, four days, then a week or two goes by and then you realize, oh, wait, the Knicks have team options on most of these deals. Um, and so the deals are essentially one year shorter than what they sound like. And they're not all of a sudden, they don't sound like there's for much money as they are either. So, you know, you feel better about those things right off the bat, just that the Knicks won't necessarily be anchored and locked into these forever. Um, you know, I, I, I've had this question since they went on that hot streak toward the end of the season about, it's going to be a really big question. Like how many of these guys do they bring back and at what money at what dollar figure? And so, um, they went a little bit higher than I probably would have expected on someone like Nerlens Noel. Um, but again, you can kind of live with all these deals. I think Rose is the same sort of thing where you can live with all of it and Burks because they, they're they all essentially one year shorter than what they looked like off the top. So my initial thought was wrong about them because I thought they went too long and for too much money initially with everybody. But then it's like, oh, well, it, it's not as bad as it looked. So that was my first thought. My second thought, is that they did pretty well here, I think. Um, I do think there's absolutely potential for them to regress. Uh, I mean, Randall's shooting improvement was pretty much like an unprecedented sort of star-level improvement from one year to the next on that sort of volume. Um, So I don't expect him to shoot that well again. I think it's worth saying that for people that really are down on the Knicks, that I think there's a universe in which it's fair to be that way when you consider that they had – not just Randall, who was a huge outlier by himself, but then I think they had four of the top 13 players in the league when you looked at like year-over-year three-point shooting improvement with him, Barrett, Rose, and Bullock. Now, obviously, Bullock is not there anymore uh, with the team anymore. So if you want to write him off, that's fine. I'm pretty sure Fournier improved a pretty sizable amount last year as well. Although I think the year before that he'd shot pretty well from three as well, so I mean it's it, it's it's worth considering that they may fall off in a really hard way. Not just that some of them might, but most of their key guys could, and it wouldn't be terribly surprising if that happens. 
So I think that that's really important because it's, you know, it's, it's a, it would be a fair reason to say that you don't think that they'll be as good. Um, now, obviously the flip side of that is that they went out and they, they improved what I think a lot of people would have considered their weaknesses. They went out and got someone that can very easily be a leading scorer many nights, a second scorer other nights in Fournier and hell. I mean, they got Kemba at a position where they basically were playing a zero offensively, you know, maybe worse than a zero, maybe below replacement level um, at that position. And so, you know, now all of a sudden maybe you don't need to tax Rose's minutes as much, which became a problem in the playoffs. Um, you get someone that is a, a legitimate threat when he's healthy offensively, someone that can shoot, someone that can distribute the ball, someone that's fast, that can play with tempo. Um, so, I mean, that aspect of it, you feel good about, you know, just in terms of who you brought back and who you brought into the rotation in the first place. Um, you have to feel good about that. I, I'll be honest. I think me and everybody else essentially forgot that Kimball was out there, um, that, you know, he got traded and we all saw him get traded. And then we just kind of forgot about him because he went to the team where everybody basically goes to die before they get traded again, which is Oklahoma city. So I think most of us tended to forget about that. Um, but yeah, now, now that he's there, I mean, it's, it's a very logical rotation that they have. I don't quite know what to expect. Uh, if you told me the Knicks were going to finish fourth again, I would hear you out. If you told me that they were going to finish seventh or eighth, I would hear you out. Um, I think they'll finish a little bit higher than that. Maybe in between those two, I think the East will be better. I, you know, if you told me Boston was going to be better, I could hear you out on that. Um, you know, it, it's Boston was just really, really hit hard by the virus last year. Tatum had the virus last year. Um, you know, Kemba was not himself for a lot of last year. Um, and they bring in Schroeder who, you know, who knows who you would take, you know, in a full health situation between the two of them. But I, I, I think the, the East is really wide open. I think in the second half of the playoff race, as far as which teams make up five, six, seven, and eight, and maybe even the plan teams. Um, I, you could tell me literally any order and I would hear you out. You could tell me the Raptors are going to have a say in that conversation and I would at least hear you out. It's just a really weird situation with a lot of those teams. I think the top half of it is probably locked in pretty tight. Just a question of where they'll finish. Um, but the Knicks, I, I, you could tell me anything. I, I think that they'll be good again on defense. I don't think they'll be quite as great from outside on offense because I do see some regression coming there. But, um, but you have to feel good about the guys that they got in the backcourt. Um, it's so weird, too, by the way, that they took a backcourt from another team in the division another starting backcourt from another team in the division. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to see what happens there. I'm very curious about the Bulls in the same way, uh, a little bit different, where, you know, they, they swung really big and, and brought in a lot of talent and kind of questions about how those guys will fit and how much firepower is it and how good would the, their defense be and are they, a, you know, a five seed or are they out of the playoffs entirely? And it seems like there's very big, wide divisions on kind of what people think about those situations. So, I'm curious to see how it plays out. I really don't know. All right. It's about that time. Let's take our first break. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simpler way to get all the entertainment you love without all that hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before. So you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part? There's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter 
and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. Yeah, I think I'm I'm pretty I, I lean towards more the optimistic side of the spectrum that you just presented there. And I think it's because the pieces on paper, obviously, because we, we haven't seen any of these guys play together yet, fit seemingly really well together. And, and to your point, I think the Knicks nailed their weak points really, really well. Like the biggest issue on the team last year was outside of uh, D Rose, and, and even D Rose had issues around this area to some extent, they didn't really have a point guard who could get two feet in the lane consistently. And I, I just think Kemba and, and, and combined with, to your point, the Fournier upgrade over block offensively just opens things up to such a degree for Randall. And I, I've said this before, but um, I think he can offset some drop off in three point shooting by getting more layups and also just having easier threes. Like I think what a lot of people missed with him last year and like the reason like those numbers even like declined a little bit from the first half of the year where he was just insane was his, his degree of difficulty on his shooting was just so, so nuts. Like it was, it was so many like contested fadeaways. Like he, a lot of his offense became off the dribble threes, which was insane for a guy who had previously had just one season over 30% from distance. Um, and, and I think he would have been in line for, maybe a pretty significant regression if not for the fact that they made these changes. And I almost feel like the Knicks like preemptively like insulated themselves against that possibility by ensuring that he's going to get easier shots this year. But I I guess, Chris, having said that, like as balanced as this team is, is there one guy that you're particularly interested in coming into this season? I I would say for me, it's maybe RJ Barrett because he, he obviously made really significant strides as a shooter from someone who was, who was basically a non-shooter as a rookie to after a disastrous start to last season shot right around 45% from three over the next final 50 games. And we hear this off season, like he's really putting in a lot of work on his fluidity and, and ability to attack the basket and continuing to improve his touch, which got better last year, but was still well below average and, and, and something that would make a significant difference for him for a guy who got such a high volume of attempts around the rim. I'm wondering, do does the addition of Kemba and Fournier and, and maybe even a little bit more responsibility for Mitchell Robinson on offense, does that make it all the easier for him to have success and continue to turn into an efficient sort of do-everything, plug-every-hole type of guy? Or, or is he going to come back as a legitimately more talented player who sees himself taking that next step and becoming a near all-star? And that, like, I, I just think, Randall and Kemba, they're, they're like too good as human beings for that, and, and RJ too, to be a locker room issue. But does that create some awkwardness on the court if he takes some step forward, steps forward and the Knicks almost have too many mouths to feed at different points this year? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. I, I mean, I could be wrong on that. Um, I mean, I think it helps when the, the, the challenge would be if you had too many mouths to feed and they couldn't shoot from outside. And obviously with Barrett, that was a little bit of a problem. You know, at times where he would have his cold spells, but certainly more in his rookie year, um, where basically if you're not handling the ball, you're not going to make a shot because, you know, you're only going to just stand there and wait for the ball. And I don't want to pass to you because you're not a good shooter from outside. So I think it becomes an issue there. Uh, and I don't think he has that problem anymore, certainly when he shoots 40 percent. Um, I, I, I do think it's a big year for him. I, I think the guy I would point to that you know, as I was saying before, where you could essentially tell me anything about how the team will perform and I would kind of be open to hearing it out. Mitchell Robinson, I think, is the guy that, you know, it it gets really easy, I think, for people outside of the Knicks orbit and, you know, the fan base to forget that he wasn't there 
Nerlens Noel played very well in his absence, but was not a big enough body to really go up against the elite centers that are bigger that want to post you up. Um, he's not as much of a threat on offense as Mitchell Robinson is and, and doesn't really have the same springiness that Mitch does. Uh, so I think it's a huge year for him, certainly if they don't reach an extension with him before the season starts, because then there's a lot riding on it from that perspective as well. Um, you know, what, what sort of difference does he make? What sorts of possibilities does he open up? Uh, what sorts of things has he added to his game, if anything? Um, and how does that kind of blend in with the, with the larger theme of, of this roster as a whole? Um, but certainly, RJ, I mean, you're, you're hoping, I think, after the last postseason, you saw pretty clearly that it was a little bit too much to have it just on Randall's shoulders and just on RJ's shoulders. And so they certainly addressed that. Um, and I, I think you raise a good point to say that if you're thinking that maybe Randall won't regress much or if at all, um, one of the things you're banking that on is the idea, like you said, that there were times where he would shoot. There were, I remember he really liked that shot from the corner sometimes, but he would be, he'd have a guy right in his face, which, I mean, the corner is already a tight enough spot, but there would be times where he'd have a guy standing a couple of inches from him and he'd just launch a three. And I couldn't believe that he'd even taken the shot, but he'd make it. And um, so there were a lot of shots. And that, what was so weird about it is that, you know, in my mind, I kind of made up that he was not a good shooter at all, that he just kind of had bad judgment as to when to pull certain shots, that he certainly had bad judgment, you know, the year before last as far as dribbling into the paint or, you know, that horrible kind of spin move that he would do where he'd just turn the ball over. I, I think I called him a, a tornadic uh, turnover machine uh, where, you know, he just looked like the Tasmanian devil and just kind of turned the ball over. Um, and his decision-making got a little bit better. But he was still taking really, really difficult shots. Like you said, the difference was they were going in. I don't know if it was just the hard work. I don't know if it was luck. I don't know if it was both things combined. But, you know, again, it's totally fair to think that some of that will fall off. It's also totally fair to think that it won't fall off that badly if he's getting more open looks, which other guys can create for him, whether it's RJ, whether it's Kimba, whether it's Evan Fournier. Um, so that has to be the hope. And I think with, with RJ – you're hoping the same thing too, where he was pretty solid last year when he was getting catch and shoot opportunities and open catch and shoot opportunities. The big step for him, and I think this is the case for so many guys that are going into year three, year four, um, the, to take the next step in their stardom is can you just put it together and be more consistent from one night to the next? Because we know RJ is capable of, of scoring 20 a night. It's more, can he do it consistently and in a way where it's not 30 one night and 10 the next? Or when it, you know, it's not 13 for 19 one night and then four for 17 the next. Because I, you know, in fairness, the Knicks have had their fair share of guys that can do that before. From JR to John Starks to you name it. They've had people that can do that. Um, but that's what, that's what separates RJ right now from the, the real upper echelon. I, I kind of had a little bit of a battle with my uh, coworkers at SI. We were doing our top 100 and I can't remember if there was one other person in my group that had him in the top 100 or if everybody else had him out of that list. I had him in mind, but when we were talking about that, like that's what it comes down to is like everybody ahead of him on the list for the most part has either a really elite skill or they're really more consistent than RJ is. And even when he's at his best and he has a six game streak that's ridiculous where I remember there was a time I wanted to write a story about how well he was playing last year and decided to just pull the story and then not run it 
because there were like six other people that had written the same story. So he got plenty of attention for it, but he just, um, he has stretches where he's not consistent, whether it's with the shot. Um, you know, I think his effort is consistent, which is good for him, but, um, you know, he's got to get a little bit more consistent with the shot and just with, uh, with finishing, I think a little bit and finishing sometimes with the right hand, which he's shown a capability of being able to do. But, um, that's the real thing. I think that that's his next step in his progression. I think it's just to be a little bit more consistent and you would hope that getting guys that can serve as number one, number two options when they're healthy, that that can take some of the pressure off RJ having to do it and also make him more efficient. All right, we're going to take our second break. This episode is brought to you by Built Bar. And you guys already know because I've talked about it enough. And I've heard from some people on Twitter and stuff that have eaten them and have ordered them. And it's undeniable at this point. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar out there. That's because they have so many delicious flavors. Let me list them off for you real quick. You got coconut, cherry barcia, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, cookies and cream, and German chocolate. There's so many amazing flavors to choose from. You guys already know my favorites are cookies and cream and coconut. They remind me of some of my favorite candy bars, cookies and cream, just like a a Hershey's cookies and cream bar. And coconut is like a Mounds or an Almond Joy, two of my absolute favorites. But the best part is, is that despite tasting like a candy bar, Built Bars don't give me all that candy bar guilt of all that fat and sugar and stuff that I don't want in my body. Built Bars have 17 to 18 grams of protein a piece, and the calories are only 130 to 180 per bar, along with only 4 to 5 grams of sugar and 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. They are so tasty and healthy for you as well, so you can't really beat that combo. If you want to get some for yourself, go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. And this episode is also brought to you by Bet Online. We're back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back on to start another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this year. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, BetOnline.ag continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use promo code NFL100. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up this this last point here. Uh, the Obviously, the team of the, the Knicks that sort of turned Knicks Nation onto your work and endeared you so much to Knicks fans was the 12-13 team, which prior to this past year, I would say was probably the, the most feel-good team of the last 20 years, without a doubt. Uh, I think this past year's team, despite not finishing quite as high in the record and all that stuff because of the circumstances with the pandemic and everything. I think this past year's team maybe takes the cake for most feel good team. Um, But if you were going to compare this year's team to that 12, 13 team with, you know, Mello, you just mentioned Jr. uh, Tyson Chandler, all the old guys, uh, you know, Jason Kidd, um, Kurt Thomas, Rasheed Wallace, all them Shumpert, uh, Steve Novak, you know, you could go on and on. Amari Stoudemire, who didn't 
actually play that huge of a part in it, but was a part of it nonetheless. Uh, if you were going to compare that team to this year's Knicks team, how how would you do so? Like, do you think that do you think this team has a chance to fit together in the way that that team did? Where I I would argue, I mean, I think that that year's Knicks team was greater than a sum of its parts just by how well they all mesh together. I kind of get that sort of energy off of this year's team too, because despite not having the the top most top tier talent on this team, I I do think there is a world where the skills of these guys complements each other enough that that they might have sort of that 12 13 breakthrough in a way where they they play really to a greater uh greater than some of their parts like I just said. So uh how do how do you compare this year's Knicks with the team that that sort of burst you onto the uh the Knicks scene with the journal back in 12 13. So I, I think the thing that stands out for me which is maybe like I, I hear what you're saying with the comparison. It, it, it's it's not off because I think what people forget, and I agree with you that I think last year probably was more more of a shot in the arm for the fans than twelve thirteen was. Probably I, I don't know. It, it was probably close, but twelve thirteen was special to fans because it. I think people actually had a thought that they could win the whole thing if things broke the right way. Um, I certainly did. Which it's it's it, I mean it's it's been a long time since anybody thought that about a Knicks team. It had been a long time since anybody had thought that. So that was unusual and it was unexpected. So that was one thing. Um, but I I do think that you know in some ways this might have been more of a shot in the arm this past year for Knicks fans, primarily because no one expected them to be that good. Um, no one expected them to make the playoffs. And I think people were hurting and people were, had been, I mean, there, I, I go back and I think I feel this way about a lot of things. Like I'll watch Bulls starting lineup intros and I, I could watch Pistons starting lineup intros and I get, for whatever reason, I get goosebumps. I'm not a fan anymore. I guess I was as a kid. I don't care, but I, I get goosebumps watching like the RJ Barrett dunk and that Hawk series. Um, not the TNT version because for whatever reason, the audio wasn't, as loud or as live, but the MSG version, it sounds like a biblical sort of celebration when he lands that dunk. And, you know, I, I kind of make this description in my book at one point that there's something about the garden and the way that people respond to different things um, that when it's been a really long time and 94 was an example of that, 12, 13 in some ways was an example of that just as far as how much of a contender they actually were at that point as a two seed. Um, I don't think this year was, was an example of that, but I, I think there's something to be said for the fact that um, just fans really crave a winner when it's been a long time. Knicks fans in particular, I think it's different than the other sports because with the Mets and the Yankees and the Jets and the Giants, there's a little bit of a divide, obviously, a pretty 50-50 split, maybe a little bit more, a little bit less for the Yankees and the Mets in terms of how the fans feel locally. You know, the Nets are always a little different because they're not they're not a New York team by most people's standards. Um, you know, they weren't until recently. And so there are just so many Knicks fans, and I kind of feel like that's the one thing that most New Yorkers are kind of unified over if they like basketball is that they're Knicks fans. So that, that element of it was really unusual, and I would say that that – that stands out to me as being a similarity. The thing that I think makes them different um, 
where I understand what you mean by the sum of their parts. I think what ultimately makes those teams really different, though, is that the Knicks had a really, I don't know, maybe it's a similarity. They had an identity that went against the grain in terms of something that was like a game-changing sort of thing that they caught on to in 12-13, which was just that they bombed threes all game long at a time where teams weren't doing that. And that obviously had a pretty distinct payoff for them, even to the point where I don't even think Mike Woodson really knew how much that was kind of the impetus of what they were doing and how much it was helping them to the point where I think he, he, he kind of, you know, looked to shut it down when he could, because he wasn't really convinced that it was a winning platform. Um, the Knicks do certainly have an identity now. Um, and I do think they make hay with that identity. I think the challenge is when you grind that hard on that piece of their identity now as a defensive team um, and you play as hard as they do for the sorts of minutes that they do, um, I think it has a tendency to maybe wear you down. You're playing your absolute hardest all the time. And it raises the question of whether you've kind of peaked at a time, you know, before the playoffs come around. Um, whereas I think the offensive style that they're playing with in 12, 13, they were on the cusp of something that was kind of cutting edge for the rest of the league. I mean, sounds a little silly to call three point shooting cutting edge, but it was, it was something that was changing the sport in a way that we didn't understand at the time. And because it was, they kind of caught onto it in a way that nobody else had. And, you know, so that, I think that was the difference really is that I think they, they had a chance to win the whole thing and were trending in the right direction in that sense. Um, and that was kind of their game breaker. Uh, I, and yes, there were some of their parts and they did have veterans. That I think helped Jason Kidd, I think was very influential on that team. Um, I'm not completely sure they've got vets like that, but there, there are some similarities. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, trying to build it as best you can around the younger guys and the core guys with the, you know, trying to hand the reins to Julius and, and RJ, basically. That was essentially what the Knicks had done with Carmelo and, and Stoudemire and Tyson, was to try to build it around those two or three guys and have bets around everybody else. You know, everybody else was a bet. Um, so there is some of that. Um, but, you know, there are enough youngsters on this team now where I think the Knicks are trying to have it both ways a little bit to try to build around some of these young guys. Uh, Mitch is still young and, you know, obviously had a couple of draft picks this year who should actually fit really nicely. They look like they fit really nicely in summer league. Um, so I, I think there are differences. I think there's some similarity, particularly in terms of the way the fans responded. But I think the 12, 13 team strikes me as just different just because they, they were kind of in on the one thing that really seemed to kind of give you an advantage at the time. Um, and I'm not sure that the team's focus on defense quite does that. I mean, clearly their ability to do it and their ability to kind of adhere to the game scheme, uh, the game plan helps them. But I don't know that being a really good defensive team puts you ahead of the curve the way that the three-point ball was the year that the Knicks did what they did. Um, and man, it, it's just so crazy to think that they were on the cusp of that and somehow didn't pick up on how big a deal that was and didn't stay with it. Because um, that, to me, is just crazy that they they did that and then the Rockets kind of took it and ran with it instead of them. And uh, granted the Rockets, you know, had Harden as well, but it's just crazy to think that the Warriors basically kind of blossomed from that and the Warriors and the Rockets blossomed from that. And the Knicks just kind of went the opposite way, which is, uh, you know, still leaves me scratching my head. So I can only imagine what it does for the fans. Yeah. I was going to say it's pretty, it was pretty quintessential Knicks over the last 20 years to stumble <laughs> upon like the most, uh, I guess like, revolutionary and advantageous um like new tactic you could in the league and then be like ah 
you know, not not really for us. Not really for us. Um, but but Chris, on, on that happy note, uh, you, you've been incredibly generous with your time as as always, and uh, we can't thank you enough. I just wanted to reiterate for anyone who somehow missed it throughout the the episodes, uh, the book is called Blood in the Garden: The Flagrant History of the New York Knicks, and it's out January eighteenth. It is now available for pre-order. Uh, Alex and I are both going to read it in the next couple of weeks, and uh, we're, we're incredibly excited to have you come back on when it comes out. So then we, we, we don't just have to talk about the process of writing the book. We can we can get into the actual book, and I'm, sh- I'm sure that's going to be a blast. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for, for inviting me on and having me on. I really appreciate you as always, and, and look forward to coming back to, to have a, a deeper discussion about the book itself. All right, with that, we will wrap up this edition of the Locked on Knicks podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter, leave a five-star review, and find us wherever podcasts are found. Until next time, peace out, be good. We'll see you.